It's one of my favorite songs and just want to point out real quick that this is probably not something that we would often say or think about, things like being destitute and despised and forsaken, let the world despise and leave me. This is not common to us to to say these things. And yet, we see in that fifth verse, think what spirit dwells within thee, think what father's smiles are thine, think that Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven, canst thou repine. This is a wonderful song, and it's a perfect segue into what we're talking about this morning. So if you would, would you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and if you haven't been around this summer, we have been looking at the Beatitudes, the eight blessings that Jesus gives right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And so what we've seen is that the first four, they're about our attitudes towards God. And that the second four, they're about our attitudes towards our fellow man, other people. And so these first three, blessed are the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, they're the Beatitudes of need. It talks about our posture as we approach God. We approach Him from a position of need. And then we looked at the fourth Beatitude, the center of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Being empty with nothing in our hands, through faith we're filled with Christ's righteousness. And so we hunger and thirst for that. The next three, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Those are the beatitudes of deed, the actions, what we do now that we have been changed. We're new creations. We have this new righteousness from Christ. We love because he first loved us. Because we have been loved, we now love others. 1 John 4, 19. And so every week that we've had this summer in this series, we've asked a different question It's been the titles of the sermons, and it says, the first question is, what does the good life look like? What does it look like? You know, this is the the happy life, and it looks like being poor in spirit and mourners and meek. And what does the good life long for? And it longs for righteousness. Then what does the good life live like? How are we to live our lives in the good life? And that's mercifully in purity and as peacemakers. And so the question we come to today is essentially this, is what's next? What's next? What does the good life look forward to? What are we to expect in this life living in the kingdom of God? And so the answer that the beatitude gives us is kind of an unsettling one for us this morning. It says what you have to expect is persecution. Wait, what? Okay, Jeremy, I was on board with you when you said that I had to be meek, or I was on board with you when you said we had to practice being merciful towards other people, but this is something different here. You're talking about persecution, uh, suffering, hard things. So let's return again to this familiar passage today, starting in verse 3, but we'll be focusing on verse 10 this morning. This is the word of the God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then I'll run today. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the reading of God's word this morning. Let's go to him and pray and seek his help to understand this passage. Father, we admit that this is a tough passage for us to hear. We, we want it to be um, easy. We want easy lives, and yet we see that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are those who are blessed. And so, Father, as we look at this this morning, we ask that you would teach us, that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to understand the truth of your word. And so, Father, we need your help. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Well, I love history. I majored in history in college. I like to read history books. I used to be a high school history teacher before I got into ministry. And so I love history, and I love Roman history particularly. And when I was in college, I took a class called The Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And it tracked this, uh, well, what it says, The Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. But there's this, there's this uh, place in Rome called the Palatine Hill. If you've ever been to Rome, you've probably been in it. It's right next to the, the Colosseum and the Roman Forum. About 2,000 years ago, it was the city center of Rome. And there's a building there on Palatine Hill that Caligula, the emperor, he owned, and later it was turned into essentially a boarding school for boys that would go and serve the emperor. So, turned into like a boarding school for boys. It was discovered in the 1850s by an archaeologist, and they excavated the site, and they found all sorts of things that hadn't been touched for centuries. It was, it was sealed in. But what they found inside, they made a monumental discovery. Inside, on one of the walls, there was an inscription, and it's likely the earliest illustration of the crucifixion in the world. And so, we have this picture of Jesus' crucifixion, and it dates back somewhere between the first and third century. One of the earliest pictures that we have of Jesus, if not the earliest. And it's called the Alexa Minos Graffito. And you can look it up, you can see it, there's pictures of it all over, but it shows this man with his arms raised, worshiping Jesus on a cross. And so when you look at Jesus, it looks, everything looks normal. You see his outstretched arms, you see his legs, they're all on the cross. It all looks normal like you'd expect it to look like, except one difference. The head of Jesus was replaced with the head of a donkey. And under it, there's this caption written in Greek, and it says, Alexamenos worships his God. It's written with very sloppy, childlike handwriting. And so you can just imagine, there's a boy named Alexamenos. He's in this school, and he's a Christian, and he's different from everyone else. And all the other boys, they're mocking him and making fun of his faith. After all, who worships someone who is executed on a cross? like criminals were. And so the cross, it was a shameful death, and, and so they're saying, this is your God, Alexa Minos, a criminal, shameful death. And then to depict him as a donkey, well, well, I think we all know that that's an insult. I think we know what that's saying. And so we have this window into the past here where we see a Christian and his crucified Savior being mocked. And in the first few centuries, Christianity was persecuted far and wide. Every apostle was martyred. They were, they were executed except for John, and he was exiled. Many of the early church leaders, Justin Martyr, Polycarp, Cyprian, Ignatius of Antioch, all killed for their faith. 
But the persecution of Christians didn't stop 2,000 years ago. It exists today. We may not see it very well because of where we live today, but according to the Pew Research Forum, Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world, with Islam second, Judaism third. But here we're starting to see it more and more, and I see it all the time working with students and talking to them about college. If you were to enroll in college today, what you would find on the college campus is that there's many who hate Christians, who try to exclude them from campus life and even have their voices silenced. Many of us, if we want a smooth career where we don't ruffle any feathers, it might be more of an advantage to say that you're not a Christian, or at least not to advertise it. That would be advantageous for your career. There's also been attacks on Christian churches in the last few years. I'm I'm sure you all have seen and heard about many of them. And so this morning, in one last trip to Opposite World, this is how the Beatitudes end. It says, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Happy are those who are persecuted. So today I only have two points for us again. Two things that I want us to see from this passage The first point is persecution, and the second one is promise. So, persecution and a promise. And so, let's look at our first point this morning, uh, persecution, and specifically what persecution is and what persecution does. So, so what exactly is Jesus saying here? And so, I want to be clear that Jesus isn't saying that there's anything particularly good about persecution in and of itself. Like, persecution for no reason is not a good thing. But he adds some qualifying words right after it when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness that Jesus had in mind when he says this here. It's those who suffer because of their allegiance to Jesus. And so this is such an important point here that Jesus, he adds to it. It's the only beatitude where he adds more to it. And you can see it in verses 11 and 12 from Matthew chapter 5. And he goes on, he continues this thought, and he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so here is the picture that Jesus is painting here. He's talking about those who people insult, who who they persecute, who they lie about, who they say all kinds of wicked things about because of Jesus, those are the people that are blessed, is what he says. In Luke's recording of the Beatitudes, he says it like this. He says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So think about those verbs there. When people hate you, when they exclude you, when they lie, when they revile you, And when they spurn and reject you, you ever experienced any of those things in your life? And so here's where it gets a little weird and uncomfortable for us this morning. The implication here is that these are the people that we should envy and want to be like because of their following Jesus. And so welcome to the biggest opposite world moment of the whole summer here. If there was ever a beatitude that was the complete opposite of what the world says, it's this one. But it's also the opposite of what our heart says and wants too. And if the world had a beatitude for this, it would go like this. Blessed are those who have the easy life. Especially when the easy life comes about by doing bad things. 
so I don't have a TikTok. If you don't know what TikTok is, it's a social media app. But it doesn't matter because everything now is TikTok. You have Facebook Reels, YouTube Shorts, now even Twitter, if we can still call it that. Uh, it has these short little videos. If you don't know what I'm talking about, they're like six to 10 seconds long. And, and there's these short videos where people put on social media. And occasionally I see some of these videos pop up on my feeds uh, of people broadcasting themselves breaking the law. And so I think of there's this guy in the UK that he got famous for walking inside people's homes and stealing people's dogs. Uh, I've seen where people just walk into Walmart and they grab food and drinks off the shelf and opening them and eating them in the store saying, eating free at Walmart. There's many people who walk into stores with trash bags. I've seen these videos where they just grab stuff off shelves to throw them in a trash bag and walk out with them. And these videos, they have millions and millions of views and that's not an exaggeration. And they're glorified for stealing, and the world loves that sort of thing. The world loves it when people's wrongdoings get results. And so this philosophy is, do whatever you want in the pursuit of happiness. Do whatever you want in the pursuit of happiness. And, and now, now we here, we may not be actively engaged in stealing or being a public nuisance, but if I'm honest, I often live like I want the same standard to apply to me. You know, have you ever thought, what's in it for me? Maybe we'll show mercy to people we like, but not on people that are just really difficult to deal with. Maybe a sibling or coworker or neighbor. Maybe we'll be a peacemaker if there's something to gain by it. What's in it for me? And so what ends up happening is that we flee persecution the moment it comes up. We want the easy life. It's just natural to us to want that easy life. But here we have Jesus challenging us in this beatitude. He challenges how we interact with people and challenges our attitudes when, we, when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. And so why is this a beatitude? What does persecution do for us? Why is this so important that he lists it here with these other eight or these other seven? Well, persecution can reveal our faith. It reveals our faith. Uh, this past spring, we went through 1 Peter in our Sunday school classes, and this is something that we talked about in them. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what he is saying here is that when our faith is put into the furnace of persecution, it will refine our faith like gold. It reveals our faith in the midst of persecution. It shows us what we really and truly believe when persecution comes. Now don't get me wrong here. Trials, suffering, it's hard and we can and we do fail often at our responses to these things. But the commentator sums up what I'm trying to say here really well. He says this, if we manage to live our whole life without suffering or persecution, people will never really be able to tell if our faith is a reality in our hearts or merely the right words on our lips. If we go through our whole lives without feeling any kind of persecution, any kind of adversity, any kind of suffering, we won't ever be able to tell if it's just lip service or if it's a reality within our hearts. How do we react to persecution, to suffering, to trials? 
Jesus himself said this would happen. In John 15, 18 to 20, this is what Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So this is where it all comes to a head for us in the Beatitudes. Those first three Beatitudes, they're the ones of need. Then you had that centerpiece of the Christian life, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Then you had the Beatitudes of deed and action. And all these things are describing what the good life looks like, what the Christian life looks like. And then it says the result of these things is persecution. It's a byproduct of those qualities that we've been talking about all summer. And so the reality is the more that we look like Jesus, sanctification, the more that we look like Jesus, the more likely we're to be persecuted. But we can take comfort in that Jesus suffers with us while we suffer. We're not alone in it. And so this is heavy stuff here this morning. But look down at verse 12 of Matthew 5 and what Jesus says. He says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad? Were you not just listening here? Suffering, persecution? What are we to rejoice and be glad about that? How do we do that? Well, Paul shows us in Philippians 3, 8 to 10, in a verse that is probably not hanged up in your house in a frame. Right? This is not one of the ones that we, we write on our mirrors or put on our uh, speedometer in our cars. And this is what it says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that, from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death. I count the loss of everything and it's worth it because of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so when we suffer persecution, we're able to identify with Christ even more. And I love what J.C. Ryle says about this. He says, blessed are all such. They drink of the same cup which their master drank. They are now confessing him before men, and he will confess them before his father and the angels at the last day. Great is their reward. They drink of the same cup which their master drank. So that great reward is our second point this morning, the promise. And so not only is the expectation of persecution present here, there's something else attached to this beatitude. There's a promise present. And so here we come to the end of the beatitudes, and the words that we see are, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you have your Bibles still open, you can look back up to verse 3, when we started several weeks ago, and what do we see? We see, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We see it again. And so the Beatitudes, they're bookended by this promise, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
this promise of heaven for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so here's the point of all this, of all these beatitudes. If this world is all that we have, then you should pursue an easy life. You should cut corners. You should do whatever you can to squeeze every bit of happiness out of this life. However, what Jesus says is that this world is not all that there is. There's something better coming. You may have traveled to some wonderful places this summer and seen many, many beautiful things, but I promise you, it's just a foretaste of the beauty of the world that is to come. It's something that's so wonderful that there's no price that's too great to pay. And so here's the implication. Eternal life in God's presence is something that we must have at all costs. Something we must have at all costs. And the world may long for the things of this world, but those who have the happy life, the good life, they long for another world. We long to stand before God, to hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew Henry, he's written a whole commentary on the whole Bible, but Matthew Henry says this of this beatitude. He says, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are happy. This is the greatest paradox of all and peculiar to Christianity. It's the greatest paradox, how suffering, how persecution results in happiness. And so I love the old C.S. Lewis quote from The Great Divorce. Many of you have heard it. Many of you know it. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And so it is that those who lose for the sake of Christ will gain back something even better. That once we've reached the promised land and we look back at the persecution, the suffering, and see that even that has been turned into glory, the transformation of all things in our life, even the bad things, the things that we don't want. One of my favorite songwriters, a guy named Wendell Kimbrew, we sing some of his songs here, but he has a song where he says this. It's um, eternal weight of glory. He says, we will see our wounded Savior, we'll behold him face to face, and we'll hear our anguished stories sung as victory songs of grace. So that when we reach that promised land, and we look back and we're sitting around and telling our stories of anguish to one another, we'll sing them as victory songs of grace. That transformation that occurs, that even the difficult things, even the hard things, we look back on as a gracious thing. Victory songs of grace. And so by bookending the Beatitudes with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, we get this massive promise that for those who suffer for the sake of Christ, joy awaits from you. And so that's a promise that we have, those who are in Christ. And so let me close with this, and I'll be real brief here. The Beatitudes, they don't exist in a vacuum. Uh, As we started several weeks ago, we mentioned that it's it's just the beginning to that longer sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. Uh, And so it doesn't exist by itself. And so Jesus, he goes on, he delivers that sermon. And when I began today, I said that this last one is the result of the Beatitudes, It's the result that we're to expect. But it's not the only thing that we're to expect in this life. Uh, Jesus continues into verses 13, and he gives us some more results of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says this. He says, you are salt and you are light. 
And now we won't be getting into those today, but I do want to end with how that section ends before it begins talking about the law and what Jesus came to do. It ends by saying that these qualities of the Beatitudes, by practicing them, by being salt and light, it results in praise. It brings about glory to the Father. And so Matthew Henry says again, the glory of God is the great thing we must aim at in everything we do in religion. All of our lives are for praise. And so all of these things, all the Beatitudes, being salt, being light to the world, brings about praise to the Father. And so by living the good life that's listed in the Beatitudes, it brings about praise to God. And so it is that the happy life, the one that follows the God of endless happiness, that's the happy life. And this is for the poor in spirit, for the mourners, the meek, the hungry, those, the hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So by His grace, may He grant us that faith to make you and me citizens of that kingdom. So this morning I have a question for you again, is do you want the happy life? Do you want Jesus? And if you have that, I promise you, Jesus has promised you that there is nothing else that you'll need. And so there's only one requirement for that, and it's faith. And so my question for you is, do you believe that? Let's pray.